consider you to be lucky. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Notes from the Library. As always, I'm your host Emma and today we're going to be talking about F. Scott Fitzgerald's most noble piece, The Great Gatsby. I'm sure many of you know, especially my American audience, you've read it, we've all had to do it, I'm sure you wrote essays about it, I know I did many, I did presentations on it. It's a very big thing in our curriculum, especially I think in New York they teach it junior year. I don't know if they do that in other states, but that was the main book I read my junior year. And The Great Gatsby is the story of a mysterious rich man, Jay Gatsby, and his companionship with Nick Carraway as Jay tries to get Daisy Buchanan, who he says is the love of his life, back into his life. Fitzgerald is one of my favorite writers, and I think The Great Gatsby is one of the best books ever written. The book covers class struggle, love, social and economic pressures, and also raises the question about friendship and trusting the people around you. And it hits all of that in a very subtle way. It doesn't force it down your throat. It comes very natural to everything, and it does it all in about 180 pages. That's how long my copy is, and that's like the standard, usually about 180 pages. So that's a lot. And when I was in high school, I found that the book in the classes was dumbed down so much that it made me hate the book. It wasn't until I went back a couple years later and reread it that I grew to really love it. And I think there's a difference between how teachers talk about the book and how readers talk about the book. And I think it stems from the, this problem that's arising in the humanities field. Before I start, I will have you know, Urban Dictionary does not lie to me, and I got the definition from this. There's this saying that the kerns are blue, and it derives from the idea of professors giving meaning to work when there is none. And I think The Great Gatsby is the biggest victim of this, and if you feel there's other books, let me know, because I feel like a lot of books suffer from it, but I don't think any to the degree that The Great Gatsby does. There's this TikTok that actually sparked this whole episode. Let me get it for you. I'm sure... If you're on BookTok, or if you have a very nerdy sense of humor like I do, I am sure you have ran into this video. Right, let's keep it simple, no hidden meanings, straight to the point. John ate spaghetti for lunch. Now, this next passage is particularly brilliant. John ate spaghetti for lunch. Now, spaghetti symbolizes the pain and suffering that us individuals feel on a daily basis, and John Voluntarily eating this spaghetti shows the self-destructive nature of us homo sapiens. So the video starts out with this guy, it's like author in the 1800s, it's like John just ate spaghetti. And it's the English teacher going into this huge like topic and analysis of it and you just have him also playing the student just like confused at everything. And many times there are writers that have a hidden meaning into something, I mean We've all read books. Books are made with a message and they're meant to have something, but I feel like many teachers also add extra things to it. Like, for example, another book we're going to talk about in the future is Crime and Punishment. Crime and Punishment is the story of a man who feels that he that there is no God and he can be God. And it's his test of morality and what is good and bad. That's the overall arc of it. I don't see teachers breaking down the colors that he's wearing because the colors aren't really that important. It's just... What he's doing and how he thinks is important. But in The Great Gatsby, there's such a focus on colors. And I think in a way, yeah, colors sometimes have meaning to them. But I don't think to the way The Great Gatsby does. And I mainly bring this up because colors mean different things in different cultures. Like I know in when I was in junior year, we had this exchange kid from, I think he was from Beijing. He was either Beijing or Shanghai. He was from. 
And when we were talking about what colors mean, everyone's like, yeah, color red means, like, angry and this and that. And usually, like, you're red with anger. And he's like, no, like, red's a very subtle and very, like, it represents love in my country. Red do doesn't represent anger. So right then and there, anything he read versus anything that I read was automatically going to be different because those colors are different in the cultures we find ourselves in. When she says, like, oh, the green light is longing for Gatsby's love of... Daisy, yeah, that, or just not many lights are green, and that's what stuck out to him. Or the color meaning yellow, they're like, oh, like it was just uh, a green and this and that. I'm like, or it's just a bright color. I mean, sometimes it doesn't mean anything. And because I remember I used to, I've talked about my experience once in this writing class, and it was intense to say the least, this writing class. And it was at this um, school, and it was an extremely liberal school, and I say that because it has a point to it. And I was writing this short story, and there was this, about this businessman. I'm like, oh, and so I was describing like, the suit he wore, and I said that he had a red tie. And everyone freaked out, and they're like, oh, th that's Trump, and this and that, and this is the thing about the Republican Party, and this and that. I'm like, no, I go, I just liked red ties because they're bright, and they bring your attention to someone. And I go, there's no deeper meaning to it. And I think that kind of is a less extreme version of what the great gatsby is yeah colors sometimes have meaning but they do change i'm sure if, i'm sure if we pull people from around the world and we ask them what the color green means it's going to mean very different things like i know green many times symbol is wealth and money but in europe purple means wealth and and royalty because that was a color that royals wore but in asia it might mean something else but in the catholic church and many um christian sects of it it means the coming of christ because it's the advent and lent colors so as you see like just with these small examples that colors mean different things in the great gatsby i think we try to make more than what the story is and the story is already complex when you think about it you have Nick, who's a very unreliable narrator. We could talk about that. Do we really need to talk about what color the car is? You have many people argue that Nick and Gatsby are gay. Okay, debate that. I don't want to debate what the meaning of the yellow car means. I want to debate the characters and what they're doing. Like, is Daisy in the right or wrong for staying with Tom after all that Jay did? Was Jay in the wrong for taking the blame for Daisy when she hit Meryl with the car? There's all these things that you could talk about and say we focus so much on the colors and I don't think we realize, and if anything, it dumps the book down. The Great Gatsby is a very intense book. When you read it, there's a lot of stuff in it, especially the way Nick glosses over so many things. I mean, Gatsby's accused of being a bootlegger. We hear about that like once in the book. There's this guy, Wolfshire, that is kind of almost like a gangster that Jay is very deeply in rooted with. He's mentioned like once in the book and there's one scene with him and he's never brought up in the movie. There's the doctor with the glasses who Nick's supposed to have a whole conversation with him in the library, but we never talk about him. Like there's all these things that happen in this book and then they're gone because Nick doesn't care about them. And maybe there is a meaning behind the colors because Nick cares so greatly about the colors and he talks about them. But why do we focus on the colors and all these little tiny details that probably mean nothing when we're overmissing so many things? Like, um, I remember my teacher was talking about um the library scene because I was doing a presentation on that chapter. It's the big party scene and Nick wanders into the library 
and the guy with the owl eye glasses they call him and my teacher's like yeah and the books were blue and this and that i'm like but we're completely missing the point that the doctor was completely amazed that the books were real and they weren't hollow because people would put hollow books in libraries to make them seem smart but jay doesn't and she completely lost over that to talk about that the books were blue what does that have to do with it we completely missed a whole other meaning of it. I think that is kind of what frustrates me the most is when we focus on these small little details that don't serve a whole lot for the plot. But you miss the whole point of that scene if you focus on that the books are blue or that the guy is wearing white or that Nick is has a yellow flower or like all these little things. But you're missing the overall point of these scenes because many times colors are just descriptive. I don't know about you, but whenever someone's like, yeah, and the color blue, I really don't care. <laughs> like, maybe that's just me, but everyone who I've ever spoke to when they give a color assignment to something, unless it's a very important scene, like a wedding or like a religious ceremony, I know a lot of people really focus on colors when writing or royalty, or if it's in like a period piece and colors, certain colors represent wealth, but now those colors don't really have a whole meaning to them anymore. Like I know, Another example is if you read period pieces or you watch period pieces, you don't see the color purple often or you don't see the color red that often because those dyes were very expensive, especially purple. Purple was an extremely expensive dye to get and you had to import along the, the Silk Road. They actually used to import purple because I think it came from like snails or something. It was, it was some odd creature that you got purple dye from and so it was a very expensive color to have so in those cases it makes sense for royalty to have purple and for that to be an important color in that context but right now i can go into the store and get a purple shirt for five bucks maybe not in this economy it might be like six or seven but the color purple doesn't hold the same level that it used to have same with, I know, in ancient China, a lot of royalty wore red and gold because those were very expensive colors to have or they were colors that represented something at that time. But now, so many things come in that color. If you, I remember if you go to like a New Year celebration or a Chinese holiday or a wedding, there's a lot of red and there's a lot of gold. Those are colors more, are more accessible now. So there might have been a time when the colors meant something but I don't think in 1920s America, the colors had the same level that they did now. And I think this overstems the whole problem with the humanities field. The humanities field is so worried about being taken seriously that they're overanalyzing so many things that now nothing means anything. If that makes sense. If everything has a meaning, then nothing has a meaning, I feel like. I mean, I'll break apart these books with people and I'll gloss over. I'm like, yeah, well, these are the main points that happen. Someone's like, yeah, but what color was her dress? I don't care what color her dress was. I just care that the dress ripped because that was the important part. I was reading something in, let me bring it back to our first book, American Psycho. To me, him labeling all the colors and all of the status symbols and the designer brands of the, his suit was important because of the name. Now, in our day and age, names mean something. For example, if I am wearing purple, that's not gonna bring any status to me. If I'm wearing Gucci, that brings a status to me. If I'm driving a yellow car, like Jay and Daisy does in the book, that doesn't bring anything to me. People might just be like, why the hell do you have that color car? It's hideous. 
But if I was driving a BMW or Mercedes, that turns heads. Maybe it's a shift in culture that maybe colors used to hold a lot of symbol, especially back, back a couple hundred years ago, and even probably just a couple decades ago. But right now it's more names that are associated with it. And I think that shift that no more symbolism doesn't mean a whole lot anymore is the reason why the humanities field is what it is. I realize I'm rambling. It was quite funny. Uh, tangent. I recorded this whole episode, wrote a whole script for it, lost the script, and the episode didn't record. So lost it all. So I'm kind of just rambling, and it's one of these, let's see where this train of thought takes me, and I feel like I'm about to start a train wreck. So <laughs> I promise more episodes are not going to be like this. This is a last-minute collateral damage trying to control everything but if you ever talk to someone about book and maybe I try to stay away from this in my podcast I try not to break down the book so much that I take away the meaning of it yeah I break it down and yeah we have fun and I'll goof about stupid things in the book like in Red Cover I talked about like the bees that was so stupid but like I just thought it was funny because it related to something during this time period the color yellow or the color green or the color blue doesn't mean the same thing to everyone so it doesn't so the book doesn't hold up in other places it does in america because generally we know what those colors mean but it won't other places and so you've broken it down so much that when you sit there and you read the book you're like this is stupid why do i need to know what the colors are why do i need to know that the curtains are blue and the car is yellow it doesn't matter and Maybe, maybe you'll have the same experience I do. If you don't look up a book in high school because you had to overanalyze it so much, go back a couple years later, like um, Every Degree Gatsby Junior Year, and I reread it last summer. So it was about four-ish years. Fell completely in love with it again. Absolutely loved it. I did it for a lot of the books I read. I went back and read Mad Bovary after I didn't have to annotate every other line. Loved it. Went back and read, well, I always loved Crime and Punishment, but I liked it even more when I got to take my time and didn't have to rush to read it and annotate everything. Not everything in a story needs to have a meaning. And I say that as a writer. I'm not saying to write shoe leather and to write pointless things, but not every color needs to be specific. If you like the color green, you don't need to have a reason to like the color green. So you don't need a reason to have the color green in your story. That's how I do it. I like the color purple, me personally, not because it represents royalty or whatever it means in other cultures, because I just like the way it looks. So a lot of my characters wear purple. Why? Because I like purple. For example, I like when men wear navy blue suits. I think it's a nice color. I think it's a very flattering color. A lot of my men in stories wear navy blue suits. A lot, a lot, if I ever design a character, odds are they're wearing a navy blue suit. No meaning behind it. I just like navy blue suits. That doesn't take away from whatever my character is doing or his social status or who he is because there's no meaning behind his blue suit. Same with I, to me, the yellow car is noticeable in The Great Gatsby because it's yellow. It's very rare you see a yellow car. It's not, it doesn't stand out to me because yellow is a symbolism for greed and corruption. No, it's because it's yellow and yellow is an ugly color. And who has a yellow car? Like the whole thing punch buggy yellow because it was so rare to see one. Although one of my teammates actually had a yellow beetle but off topic. Like that's why the car stuck out to me. The light was green because a lot of docks did have green lights. I actually lived near the Hudson River in New York and I used to go boating with my family. We had a little boat that we used to go out. And all the lights are green 
because no one really has green lights at their house. So when you see green lights in in the water, that means it's usually a buoy. I think green was on the left and red was on the right, and there were markers. So green was a color that stuck out. Cause can you can you really think of a house that has a green light? Can you think of many docks that do, or buoys if you're near like a river and you see them, they have that. Maybe green was just a color that stuck out. Or maybe he just once saw a green light and thought, hey, that might be cool. Does it really have a meaning for all the time? And I think that's where the humanities are falling. With the rise of the STEM fields and the amount of money and attention going through them, because it's a new-ish field, and I say that loosely, it has been around for a long time, but it hasn't been as dominant as it has been recently. That the humanities has slipped to the side. You used to be able to get a literature degree or an English degree or a philosophy degree and go make a job and, and get a job and sustain yourself a couple decades ago. You can't do that anymore. And so I think what the humanities are now doing, especially with literature, is overanalyzing the same things over and over and over again to try to either create new jobs or to stay relevant. I mean, there are some books I've read. For example, Canterbury Tales I've read. Do you know how many people have analyzed that thing? The thing is hundreds of years old. You're not going to find anything new about it. You're not. And if you do, I don't know how you did. Same with Shakespeare. Same with a lot of even books that are newer. In the grand scheme of things, The Great Gatsby is a relatively new book, even though it's kind of old. <laughs> it is. But it's a relatively new book when you put it into the timeline of literature as a whole. You're not going to find anything new about the book. You're not. Same way you're not going to find anything new about Hemingway or Dickens because it's been analyzed so much. It's been studied. People have doctorates on these books. Like there are. They're, they're professionals. Now, all they do is they break down Dickens or they break down American literature as a whole or they break down Shakespeare. You can get a degree in Shakespearean studies as an actor, as a scholar. There are people that have studied this and they're professionals. You're not going to find anything new. And I don't mean that to sound like a black pill, like negative, don't even bother reading it. No, I'm saying to read it because you, you might find something out about yourself. But the humanities focus on trying to find new things in these books are leading to them to dumb down the books. The Great Gatsby is extremely complex. If you look at how they talk with each other, how they interact with each other, all that happens in 180 pages is boggling. It is a fast-paced book. You don't get the chance to breathe because it just keeps going and going and going and Nick is dragged around everywhere. And you feel like you're being dragged around too. You're being dragged to parties and to dinners and to the city, then back to the countryside. And then all that happens and then it ends with Gatsby's death. So you watch the whole relationship pretty much form. You watch the friendship that Nick and Gatsby have and you watch it form from the beginning to the absolute end. And you even get a little bit of what happens afterwards with Nick's breakdown, what he does after. It's an extremely tense book. It covers friendship, social um, critiques, economic classes, the way old money versus new money is. And it kind of parallels what we have now because if you look at like the rise of like new money, like Elon Musk compared to like a... Uh, old money like many of the politicians or or older companies like Exxon, the Koch brothers, Vanderbilt's, they're a lot different. I mean, Elon Musk smoked weed with Joe Rogan. <laughs> you, you would never see a Rockefeller do that. 
But even now you see like the rise in the middle class butting heads with the already established upper class. You see the lower class butting heads with the middle class. So you see a lot of the parallels that happen, although this is old money versus new money, it parallels a lot of what's happening now, especially I think with middle class and upper class. That's something alone you could probably take a whole class on, or that you can focus on, or you can write essays on. Why are you wasting your time writing about the color of the car? And I, I keep beating the dead horse, and I know I am, and maybe it's because I've lost my script, I'm winging this, or maybe it's because I really want to drive home the point. Don't dumb down books. The Great Catsby has been dumbed down so much. I'm sure if you look back at a lot of books you read, they've been dumbed down a lot. Catcher in the Rye, I feel like it's been dumbed down, although I haven't gone back to that one. I'm looking through all my books in my bookshelf to see what else has been dumbed down. I think that's the thing that we all worry about books. And I'll talk about this in a future episode that I have planned actually, and it's gonna be about Peaky Blinders and how to respect your audience. Cause I once had my same writing professor in my old school, he on the first day told us, your audience is stupid, so you have to dumb it down and beat them over the head with everything so they get it. Your audience is very smart. High school kids are very smart, generally. If they put effort into it, you'll be surprised how smart a lot of them are. College-age kids are even, well, college-age kids, I would say, if they work also, can be very smart. I wouldn't say they're smarter in high schools. I think it's, I think you're just as dumb as you are in college as you are in high school, and I say that as a college kid. But when you don't challenge them, it's very hard to get into it. I'm sure if my teachers made us really get into the nitty gritty stuff of The Great Gatsby, a lot more people would have liked it than, oh, what does the color blue mean? And why is the cover blue? And this, I don't know why the color is blue. I don't care why the cover is blue. I want to know what's going on between Nick and Jordan. Done. Like, that's all I want to know. But when you dumb it down, to your audience and you baby them and you talk down to them and when teachers teach books like their students are babies it breaks the sophistication of the book whether you like the great gatsby or not or whether you like hemingway or not or you like shakespeare or not or any other author ever there's a reason why they have survived this long there is there has to be something behind it there has to be a set of standards that it met and for The Great Gatsby to be one of the greatest books ever written, voted on, one of the greatest books, scholars say it's one of the greatest books, people across the world love The Great Gatsby. Why are we not highlighting the intensity of that book? Why did it last the hundred or so years it is? Why the second the copyright actually ended this year are people rushing to make prequels? There's actually a, a prequel to it. Let me get it. I have it right next to me. And it's actually called, it's by a Michael Ferris Smith. It's called Nick, a novel. And it's very similar to The Great Gatsby, but it's Nick's story. It's like the prequel of it. I haven't read it yet. But why were, this book, they were, it, literally the copyright ended and this book came out like a week later. This person isn't sitting on this. What? Why, what caused this book to stay the way it is? Why do people make fan art? Why do people some Great Gatsby themed parties? Why when we think of a whole time period in America, do we think of the Great Gatsby? It was not because the car was yellow or that the books were blue or that the light was green. It's because there was a sense of security in the book because we can relate to them. The idea of wanting to fit in, wanting to find love, wanting to have more money, 
That is what we should have been focusing on. And think about all the things you can cover in that book and all the intense topics you can cover with that. Instead, we want to debate why the light was green. It takes away from it. I hope Fitzgerald is rolling over in his grave hearing about how we teach his books. And I don't see any other book being taught the way The Great Gatsby is. And may maybe in the afterlife or in the next life, I can sit down for show. Yo, bud, what's with the colors? And maybe he has a reason why the colors are green or blue or yellow or red or whatever color. Maybe he does. But to me, that's not the important thing of it. And it symbolizes, I think, the fall of the humanities. The idea that A, we don't accept new classics. We can always study the old ones and we have to keep studying them and beating the dead horse of them. And this... The whole podcast is not to rip on The Great Gatsby. Again, I love that book. It's one of my favorite books. It's more of a critique on how we teach literature. We focus so much on the small details because we feel like it makes us feel smart. And I've also used to fall into this trap like, oh, I remember what color her dress was. So that means I read the book better than you. But if someone can explain to me what the social construct of the reason why that woman wore a dress and why she was so angry that she ripped it apart, I feel like they know a better meaning of the book than I do because I remember that her dress was pink with red flowers. It's not important. So my challenge to you is maybe when you read it's not important to remember every detail. Like another thing is I always get I used to get ripped apart by Harry Potter fans because I couldn't remember the small details. I couldn't remember like what was it like Hermione's dress is not supposed to be pink at the ball it's supposed to be blue or something whatever. Something like that. And they used to rip me apart for it. But if I remember the overall arcing story of these books, I remember the messages behind them. I remember I remember how it affected me and the main characters of it and how they interacted. Isn't that more important than knowing what the damn color of the dress is? I, I may not remember what color Hermione's dress was in that ball scene, but I remember the importance of that scene and the friendship that's shown with it. And the game of stakes and tension and what is supposed to happen. That's more important to me than remembering what color her dress is and that if you're not a super fan, you if you don't remember the colors of everything and every small little detail, there are big details and there are little details and that's not a bad thing. That's not. So next time you read, maybe not focus on remembering everything and every small detail and analyzing every single thing, but look at the overall meaning. And sometimes books use colors just as descriptive words and who knows maybe Fitzgerald gives a sign one day or maybe if, if anyone like is a median and likes to talk to the dead ask Fitzgerald what the colors are because I've had this debate before with people but yeah and I think that and it saddens me because I, I love literature I love the humanities I love studying literature but I can't bear sitting through literature classes anymore I can't I, I, I've just gotten so frustrated with them because they dumb down these books so much. And it pains me as a writer and I don't understand why other writers don't stand up. Well, writers and readers in general stand up for the intensity and the complexity of these books. The Great Gatsby is a very complex book. It takes multiple reads to understand it more. And it takes a deeper understanding of humanity and how we interact. I, I think it's actually a good study of sociology and how people interact in settings and groups and how society and people move throughout it. That's the important part I feel of the Great Gatsby. I think that is why we stand so close to it. I always remember the scene of them in the hotel room and Nick's just like, it's so goddamn hot in here. And then everyone just explodes. I mean, 
Jay get to the fight with Tom and Daisy and then they drive back and everything. To me, that is those are the important scenes of it. It is the heat and the intensity and the affair and all of that. Why are we studying that? And why like we should be studying that. We should be why are they acting the way they are and how does this relate to humans now? Why can we all connect with these scenes when teachers are worried about why the wallpaper was pink? Like He's mentioning it's so hot that the wallpaper is peeling. You're like, but the wallpaper is pink. Why? And I'm, I'm rambling now, and so I should wrap this up. But I think it does a disservice to it. So next time you read a book, maybe don't focus on small details. Focus on what is happening. It's okay to overlook small details. I mean, there are plenty of times where I'm like, that detail's not important. And at times it comes back to bite me in the ass. It does. But unless it fully sticks out to you, you trust your gut. If a detail or a color sticks out to you and you're like, this this might come back up, hold on to it. But if someone's just describing a group of people and one says that someone's wearing a blue dress, maybe overlook that a little bit and focus on something different. But anyway, this is not to say you should not read The Great Gatsby. I highly recommend it. It's actually a very nice book to read at the beach. Sun blowing, you get to feel like you're part of like the old and new money of of uh, of the 1920s you get to sit on the beach it, it's quite nice you can have your little fantasy but it's it's short it's quick um nick is a very unreliable narrator but he he's a fun narrator i i enjoy him and jay is great the um then there's the movie with leonardo dicaprio and one of my favorite songs of all time on the soundtrack, on the soundtrack young and beautiful by londo right just a fantastic soundtrack they have but and love is blindness that's also a great song it's in the trailer but that's me getting off topic again. Yet again, this I think is another lesson in the group. Emma just suck it up and rewrite the script. But I promise this is my last really unscripted episode. I will have more outlines and scripts in the future, I promise. But next week we are going to be reading Politics by Aristotle, which I am looking forward to and you'll learn why. But that's a very interesting book. We're going to be talking about that in different kind of political theories that come with it. It's going to be a lot different. I think it's the first time I'm really talking about politics in general on this. I know I've touched briefly about other books, but this is like the one that's specifically about it. And so like a lot of Greek philosophy too. I'm a very big fan of that. Then we're reading The Picture of Dorian Gray. And it's going to be similar to kind of this episode. We're going to talk about how... They tried to make this book more than it is, and I think they missed the point a lot of it, Dorian Gray. And I also hope Oscar Wilde is rolling over in his grave with the way we have mistreated this book in the movie industry. I mean, I have never in my life experienced a book be abused as badly as the picture of Dorian Gray is in Hollywood. It's bad. And I keep trying to give all these adaptations a chance, and I'm just no more. No more. Until someone can prove it to me and at least have Dorian have blonde hair like he's supposed to, I'm not giving you a chance. And then, sadly, season one will be ending with the Odyssey and we're going to be talking about that and we might have a special guest episode, so stay tuned for that. I'm trying to work that out with details. But don't worry because I'm working on season two and season two is going to have, hoping longer episodes more analysis of books, poetry, writing. I'm going to try to bring in more different things. Season one was kind of something I've been doing on a whim. It's an idea my friend gave me. 
I read American Psycho, loved it so much, wanted to talk about it. Started, and I was, had all these books I want to talk about and all these things. So I kind of just threw podcast out there. But season two, I've already planned it. It's a lot more analysis and detailed amongst the script and what I'll be saying. So I'm going to be taking a small break to finish working on season two, but it will follow shortly after season one. But that is not something to worry about right now. Just the next three episodes are Politics by Our Style, You Picture Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde, and then we're wrapping up with The Odyssey by one and only Homer. Really looking forward to all of that. Thank you, as always, for stopping by. Sorry for the messy episode. I promise it won't be like this in the future again. I will not be winging it. I think this taught my lesson with my tangents. I like to think I'm some Jordan Pearson that can go off on a tangent somehow, bring it back, but it seems I might not be able to. So, thank you for um, having patience with me this episode, and as always, thank you for stopping by. I'm always really grateful for you all. If you have any recommendations or you want to be on the show, please don't hesitate to message me. I love having people on. I love talking to writers and readers, so please do so. I would love to. And... As always, this has been the notes from the library.